When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome, everybody, for a special early session of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I have a flight today. So. Feeling groggy? Ah, uh, this is, it's 10 a.m., which I'd never see. <laughs> <laughs> I wake up. At like noon. And back to the East Coast for your sister's wedding. Yes, yes. Um, I have some things. Yeah, fire away. Our friend came to visit us. We hung out with him. Friend of the podcast. He's uh, sponsored it before. Justin, who runs Kettle on Fire. But he, I was reminded of a story that I kind of told you, but didn't really tell uh, the audience, is that he invited me for with a group of his friends to speak <laughs> at, a, at his uh, like study group or a group of friends who came together just to learn things and they were interested in persuasion. And yeah, he's got a group of successful CEO friends, yeah. right? They're all they all run multi million dollar businesses. <laughs> I don't I don't know if all of them, but they're they they're doing well. And, and they bring you yeah. in as the expert on persuasion to help them in their business negotiations. Well, Ju- Justin, other Justin, invites me and says, "Hey, do you want to come on? Like, you know, you got this. We'd love to have you." I said, "Sure." And so I came in and it's funny because I studied for years Tony Robbins's methodology, which I think is like the most amazing persuasion methodology there is. Mm-hmm. It's what he uses on audience members. If you see, have ever seen his documentary to get someone to basically break down and change their views in probably a 15 to 45 minute conversation. Yeah. People he, don't realize he has, a, he just has a formula basically. Yeah. He obviously he's a genius in how he implements it, but th- he uses the same seven steps Every time you've ever seen him talk to someone about losing weight, mm-hmm. not committing suicide, depression, failing in business, he runs them through the exact same framework. And all he changes is the exact word he uses at each step. And this, yeah, it's because there's different motivators for different people. So he's finding out their particular motivators. Right. But it's he, always, you know, yeah. there's a step in there about finding their, what, which of the six core needs is their biggest, is their biggest yeah. one. Yeah. And normally people have two biggest ones and it's. This, every single intervention, there's a step where he does that. Like it's it's much more formulaic than it seems when you first watch Tony Robbins. It yeah. just seems like sorcery, riffing. Yeah. So you know that you studied it for years. You implemented it on coaching yeah. science, and and we've seen incredible things. And you, you had someone who had been struggling with weight loss. Yeah, she lost bit, 150 pounds. Like yep. it was like stuff that people can't change and want to change. It's incredible. So mm-hmm. for persuasion, this is just the nuclear bomb. And I totally forgot about that. (laughs) Not that it was like this high pressure thing, but I was on the Zoom call. And the way that I think about persuasion now, because I haven't studied that, is my basic tenets as I was thinking about them before the call are, uh, remember that you don't need anything from anyone. So anytime you get upset that someone isn't giving you the deal or the partnership or the whatever, just relax because it wasn't going to make your life more meaningfully happy. Yeah, that's Russell Brand's biggest, one of his biggest takeaways from Enlightenment that he talks about on the Logan Paul podcast, right? And again, these are, and I and I would caveat these with, uh, these make sense once you've achieved middle class or upper middle class. Like if you are starving and you think you need things from people like a job 
or food or shelter, I think that totally makes sense. Right. This is this is uh, up the hierarchy of needs. Makes sense when you're talking to a room of multi-million dollar CEOs. CEOs, in my opinion, yeah. it, it's it makes total sense for them. Um, and I and I caveated all this and that. So yeah, that's one thing. Uh, Another t- thing that I have is if I do feel like I need something, try m- to make sure that it's never particular to an individual. Now, there's always cases where it's like you want your dad to stop a bad habit or you mm-hmm. want your spouse to do something. But barring those, you don't need this particular company to purchase yours. And you don't need this particular client to sign up. Like always address persuasion on the aggregate level. Sure. You and feel so- that way even if you're an employee. If you're trying to get a raise, one of the best yeah, ways yeah. to do it is go get a higher paying offer. Yes. And then return to your employer and say, hey, I got an offer for 20% more. Mm-hmm. Do you want to match it? Yes. Anytime you need one individual to do something, you're desperate. But if you're like, look, I don't need all the bosses in the world to give me a raise. I just need a boss to give me a raise. Mm-hmm. And so then you go find other bosses that are more amenable to that raise. So in any event, I, I go into this thing, hang out on my bed. My hair is disheveled. I show up and I'm like, the point, you know, persuasion is really just don't try and <laughs> and realize that no one has anything to give you and you can't yeah. change and uh, we saw him this weekend. I was like, dude, I, they did not like that. He's like, yeah. <laughs> they really, and I knew it on the call. They really were not into it. And we've talked about this in the past. I'm not saying that I'm enlightened, but I can tell you that as someone who knows both the highly effective way to change people's particular minds and these mindsets, these ones have made me more comfortable and more happy. They haven't resulted necessarily in more sales, but like I don't, I don't, I realize that I don't want necessarily the more sales or need the more sales or if the struggle to get more sales is just not worth it. And it is the least viral message. Yeah. Because if you look at viral messages, they have planes and abs and beautiful Well, weirdly things. enough, this is the number one piece of negotiating advice that I got when I was focused on doing well in business from a guy who was focused on doing well in business, which mm-hmm. is the person who needs the other person the least will win the negotiation nine times out of 10. So it's not even off the mark if just your goal is business success Mm -hmm. to say, step back from being so needy because the more attached you are to a particular outcome or a particular person, the more you will get screwed in the negotiation. But the follow-up question from these guys, and it always is, is yeah, 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 but let's say that I... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying even forget enlightenment. Yeah. This is just what I would tell a warden business student who asked me, what's the number one piece of advice in negotiation? Whatever you're going in for, just need it less than the other person. You will subconsciously and automatically negotiate better. And, well, and the way that you need it less is you think about other options. You think about having gotten what you wanted in the oh, past. Yeah. And you think about has that significantly, like the la- what was the last thing I needed to have? And how much happier am I now that I have gotten it? Well, that's my number one answer to the follow-up. So the follow-up, well, how do I need it less? Good. If you're looking for a job, just apply to 30. I applied to 120 jobs out of undergrad. And I was not stressing ever in an interview because mm-hmm. I just like, I'm going to get a bunch of these and I'm going to have 10 to choose from. And kids who had a dream company and applied to three companies, devastating when they don't get a callback interview. And God forbid they don't get any of the three, they're screwed. So it's like, yeah, even if your goal is to be outcome oriented, this is still actually yeah. the best way, maybe not for persuasion because that includes friend relationships and stuff, but for business and negotiating, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. care less, get options. This is, this actually is the most effective. But what, what, Yes, if they want to get the one. They want to get the yes, one. Yes, they want to go. What how if do I have I, to work? A how do I use yeah, covert yeah. hypnosis <laughs> yeah, yeah. to get the one person to do what I want? That's yes. what they want to know. And it was just I was reflecting on it, and it's, uh, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't invited. My 
I'm friends with Justin, so he thought of me, but he didn't think of me necessarily, and I'm not saying that I am. He didn't invite me because I'm super happy and well-adjusted. He invited me because I have 4.5 million subscribers and have indicators of success in this field. Like, mm-hmm. that's why he thought of me. Sure. And I don't blame him at all for that. Uh, it's just interesting that, like, we wouldn't ask the happiest person we know, how do I be more persuasive? Because the reason that we want to be persuasive is to get what we want, which is to be happy. Mm-hmm. So, like, why not just go to the end of the rainbow and find that person who has figured it out and then say, oh, tell me about uh, how persuasion relates to your life and how relationships fit into your life and how uh, business fits into your life. Well, I think there's a mindset that that person is a sucker if they don't have the <laughs> external. I mean, yeah. I, I seriously think you, you see a guy and their relationship, the person they're with is not particularly attractive. They don't have a ton of money. They have yeah. a small house. And you're like, how's it going for you? And every time you see them, like, it's amazing, yeah. fantastic. Oh, my God, my life's a dream. You don't think, oh, my God, this person is so enviable. You think this yeah. guy's a sucker. <laughs> and he just learned to settle for mediocrity. Yeah. And so I think we don't take people at their word. Even when a billionaire, even if every billionaire in the world said, as soon as I got over $100 million, crippling depression hit me and I've never shook it since. Yeah. People would still pursue $100 million. Yeah. Like, we, we don't even take people at their word for what makes them unhappy. Mm-hmm. We just chase the external, the indicators of... If every, yeah, if every billionaire came out and said, I'm an addict, I can't help it, it doesn't feel good, that would turn very few people off. Harvard <laughs> Business School would get the exact same amount of applicants. Or, uh, let's Investment say banking would get the exact same. they're not trying to be billionaires, but if you could lower that number to $5 million or whatever, like that investment oh, banking puts you into that. No, I'm sorry. I'm saying even if every person who had $50 million came mm-hmm. out and said, as soon as I hit that mark, I had crippling depression, people would still aim for $48 million, <laughs> you know? Like they'd be like, well, I'll just get as close as I can. Yeah. And then I'll stop. I think they'd shoot over it even. But I guess, and, and to, to be fair, people are right to not take people at their word for self-reported happiness. I think that's wise. Like you have to look not just what someone says, how they seem to behave, uh, the emotions that they seem to experience. And I not just in a short period, like you can you can uh, turn off the sadness and become a, a traumatized victim of, of your past and like never feel sad. Yeah, yeah. I think it's over time. I don't know. I have a friend. He's just always happy and he, he rolls with the punches. And after 10 years of seeing him roll with various punches, I finally believe him. Like, you know, yeah. I really think this isn't an yeah, act. Yeah. Yes, it takes time. Is, and that's, that's the fair point. But my only, yeah, the only thing that really occurred to me, I was like, I, uh, I, sneak, I snuck my way in here with the 4.5 million subscribers, gave a message that was not well received. And I, don't blame him at all because I wasn't what they wanted. Won't be invited back and won't be heeded or listened to in that regard. And if I'd come in and like given them the Tony Robbins system and taught them to implement it, I might have people spending an hour a week working on remembering the Tony Robbins thing, which is valuable. If if you are certain that you know your goal and you're not going to give up on it and this is what's going to make you happy is to influence this other individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just a reminder to myself that the, the things that I want are not the most viral. They don't always connect with me. Like I'm sure that I've just walked into other examples been on the flip side of this where I was seeking a particular outcome. Somebody showed up and was like, Hey, how about you just be happy? I was like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I have an idea of how this is supposed to go. Sure. Um, lots of random things that I could talk about. Do you have any? Uh, yeah. I mean, I watched Dominion. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we could, we could do that. So I watched Dominion. It is a documentary about the factory farming industry in Australia. Uh, I, so the the imagery is intense. I definitely recommend it because as much as you can talk about 
oh yeah, I know what goes on in factory farms or I know, I get a sense that it's not, you know, they don't treat the animals that nice. When you see it, it creates a very different emotional reaction. And I think you just don't necessarily imagine it as brutally as it is, if that makes sense. Like you don't, you don't get the screams and stuff like that. And I know that's going to make people not want to watch it, but I actually think a very fair request is you don't have to change any of your habits, but if you are going to eat meat that is cultivated in this way, you should be willing to spend 20 minutes just seeing how it's made. And I think if you aren't willing to do that, I don't know, it's a bit cowardly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting because you, you also hear a little bit of propaganda, like pigs are peacefully killed in carbon dioxide and then you watch it and they just scream because they're suffocating to death. Like it's, uh, the, you know, the marketing when it's in text is a little bit different than when you watch it and you see it, you go, Oh yeah. When you, when you kill something with carbon dioxide so that it passes out in order to pass out, it has to feel deprived of oxygen. So it acts exactly like if you smothered it with a pillow, it's brutally trying to figure out how to escape and get air. Uh, so it's, it's very, I don't know. It's good in the sense that it just makes you, really concretely aware of what's happening has it made it easier for you to say i mean i'm not i know you were not eating meat has it made it easier because part of the reason i know you did it was to just for a refresher on the the why of yes yeah yeah it's definitely made it easier but i actually had more higher level takeaways so like one if you're gonna if you're gonna eat cows if you're gonna eat pigs i think it's uh fair to just say hey just watch this for 10 minutes and if you don't want to you're kind of a coward Uh, But the second thing is it makes you realize how atrocities occur. Mm -hmm. You just keep it out of eyesight. Yeah, yeah. Because we always talk about the Holocaust and the Nazis and the atrocities of World War II. I bet most Germans had no idea what was happening in the concentration camps. If they even knew they existed, they're just like, oh, yeah, like they take the Jews to these places and they go to these camps. And I don't know, you just never see them again. And you go, yeah, this is is how atrocities occur. You just do it out of eyesight and then you tell people it's not a big deal. And people have a, a vested interest. People's minds work for them on a subconscious level. And, and so take a German. Like, they might have imagined that what was happening in those camps wasn't nice, but their mind does them the very personal favor of not thinking deeply about it. You know, like, ah, oh, it's not, a, you know, it just it doesn't ima- conjure up those images on their behalf so that they may continue their life in relative, in relative comfort. Yeah, and just use language that's, like, peacefully killing them with carbon dioxide yeah. it's a work camp you know yeah, oh what yeah. happened to my jewish neighbor like i actually like that person don't worry they're at a work camp yeah and so it, you you recognize how easy it is for an atrocity to occur but the other thing is you you see the workers at some of these places and they have no problem beating animals tasing animals like they, you, you watch them and you go oh these people seem like sadists but for me the takeaway wasn't oh these people were born sadists it's that it's extremely easy to dehumanize anything if you start with someone when they're a child it made it it makes it to me a little bit clearer how slavery exists because if you i think if you took an animal and just took a kid randomly who had never seen them treated poorly and you start treating like this and they were screaming most kids would go stop this is mean like they don't the pig doesn't want this you shouldn't be doing this but when that kid has that reaction you have all the adults around them go no 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 this is fine this isn't a big deal those scrims don't count. This pig doesn't count. Its feelings don't count. And I, well, I also think that kid that you're imagining was that's a kid born in the 21st century who has never been on a hunt. You know what I mean? Like kids that. No, I'm talking about hunts. the kids of farmers who become farmers who end up. And I'm not saying all farmers are bad, but the people, the people in these videos. Let me. Are you describing a state of nature where kids have a problem with screams? Because I'm not even sure that 
they flip one way or the other. I'm like, whatever you're acculturated into becomes that state of nature is, I guess what I'm saying. Cause it's imagine any three-year-old has, would have seen corpses of animals and been near blood. And yeah, this is what I'm saying is if you just start from a child and mm-hmm. you just say slavery makes total sense, beating that person is yeah, fine. Yeah. They're not a person. It's like, Oh yeah, you just, you just start at a young age and you just separate. You say, yeah, we treat people well, but this per this doesn't count as a person. Yeah. And then when you come in from the outside, you go, this person's a sadist. They have no problem beating a black slave. Or this person's a sadist. They have no problem beating a cow. It's like, no, this could happen to almost anyone if you just start at age zero dehumanizing the other, whether the other is Jew, black, cow. Well, there's a flip side to this, just so we're not romanticizing the state of nature, which is you have to humanize for kids. Like, I think there's also a tendency in children to steal, hit, hurt <laughs> and you have to be like no we don't do that they're like us and so you you do carve out these two camps and i think you have to actually teach to a degree i think you have to teach the violence and the restraint to kids uh i don't know that kids are like particularly moral agents and uh deeply disturbed by screams i don't know don't have a kid um but no i i i, I do see what you're saying uh i imagine that they actually i wonder I wonder if a kid starts with empathy. If you just if you just show a kid someone being tortured, if they get uncomfortable. I mean, I don't know, but I've seen pictures of like uh, three year olds next to screaming one year olds, and they're just unperturbed. <laughs> you know, like their brother is like telling the world something is killing me, and they're just like eating their Cheerios. They seem um, like less disturbed by the shrieks of other children, at least, than even adults do. So, I don't know because you also see those really sensitive kids. Mm-hmm. Who who get really upset if someone's like mean to an animal? I think that they have, for instance, there's just no kid that has been raised in a vacuum. Like that kid was not raised in the savanna with his dad lugging back the corpse of a goat and carving it up and and feeding him a piece. So I guess there there is no state of nature is what I'm is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. There is no uh, nice kid or mean kid. It's like as soon as you're born into a world, you're surrounded by a cultural thing that tells you what is right and wrong. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the the takeaway for me is like people are going to watch dominion and they're going to think that the farmers are evil. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this farmer's not evil. This farmer was taught from age zero sure. that this is totally cool. Encouraged doesn't count as being cruel. Uh, for, and so, yeah, cause you're going to see, you see adults like just for fun, hurting animals, mm-hmm. like they were doing things outside of the process, even of factory farming, just because they have a taser and it makes them feel powerful or they think it's funny. Sure. But, I don't think that person was born with a brain defect. I don't think that person was born cruel. The way I that I play that Grand Theft Auto is like an absolute monster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And I'm totally under the impression and still am and would defend and fight for the, that they don't count. You know, like that, that the creatures and the beings, whatever in that, that they go, no, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. they don't count. Um, so the most horrible thing that you can do is just, it's a goof. And I think that, yeah, there's that, that same thing can occur different skin colors, different species, your sister, your brother, like depending on who is, who doesn't count. Well, yeah. Cause weirdly enough, I think the most common outcome of watching dominion would be to demonize the people that you watch in the video and then not stop eating meat. Mm-hmm. That's what I think most people would do. And I, and I'm, I'm saying, I feel like that's the opposite takeaway, <laughs> which is to understand that even those people look like they're doing things that are cruel they have been completely desensitized to it for their entire lifetime, probably. And also, you should stop giving them money by eating their products. Yeah. 
So that was that was my takeaway from watching it. And I think it's uh it's good. It's good to watch if you're vegan or if you're not. And if you want and if you can watch the whole thing and then keep eating meat, at least you know what's going on. Sure. You know, I think that's a very a more honest way to go about eating meat. Yeah. No, I think that's a makes a ton of sense. The only and the uh the one thing we spoke about that tribe in Africa last week, what that what that put into my mind is that uh, there's not one, I am a moral relativist and I, I think morality is, uh, dependent upon your circumstances. And so we're speaking to who we imagine is a fairly similar podcast audience. Not that you wake up at 10 AM like I do, but that you, uh, will not starve. Yeah, you're you, not starving. Yeah. And, and you will not, uh, suffer other than inconvenience and a lack of a tasty pleasure that you like, but no, yes, or sir. maybe a rebudgeting. It's like, oh, yeah. this is. Or it's a bit more expensive. It's more expensive yeah. to eat fish. So you have to make your coffee at home instead of going to Starbucks. Yeah, or yeah. Something. and that you might have to make purchases in other places. That that that's that's who we're imagining speaking to. But I am there there is a level at which I go life requires causing suffering <laughs> for for every being, with the possible exception of plants. Yeah, I don't I think that there's not a lot of people listening to this who are probably in that point though. Yeah. Where they they literally have to, or they'll die, take the lowest quality meat they can mm-hmm. find. Yeah, I was going to say afford, but it's more like just that that exists sure. in their well, world. Well, there's also, and I think there's there's this gray zone of like, uh, you have bigger fish to fry than to watch Dominion and care. Like I would, and I agree, like I want you to watch Dominion. I want you to care. I think it's the right thing for you, even if you're low, say like lower class American or not lower class, lower income American. Uh, but yeah, there is, there's like, I get that you don't, you're not covering out time to listen to the Charlie and Ben podcast and, <laughs> and, and watch Dominion. Though it would be great. If well, you I, I guess what I'm saying is they, if you're listening to this, then you are carving out yeah, time yeah. to listen to podcasts. So if you're carving out time to listen to podcasts, the documentary is two hours long, but you actually... Mm-hmm. That I think from minute four to twenty four covers pigs and cows, mm-hmm. and you so you don't have to watch the section on eating goats, eating rabbits, eating dogs, eating fish. You know, I I trust that. Just Do you want to mention your eating fish takeaway because we eat fish. Do, did you have any? Uh, it's honestly it's just a blip. I didn't watch. It's not like seaspiracy. It's just a small part of the documentary. So I watched the whole thing, but they don't. They're not really focused on it. I I've, mean, they're just. I've felt this way about a lot of the documentaries that I watch on this stuff. I like they don't. They don't give you strong, like they'll give you arguments for like Dolphin Cove or Blackfish, but I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm talking about salmon or, or that kind of stuff to see. And oftentimes it's the destruction of the oceans is, is what they reference. But then I go, okay, what about like not wild caught salmon? And I haven't, I haven't yet personally come across a, uh, a compelling reason or thing to stop. So if some, if you guys know, well, they, they talk I'll about like, yeah, it's just tough to know what's going on in the brain of a fish mm-hmm. because it's quite small relative to like the brain of a cow. So they talk about, oh, when they catch these fish, sometimes in the, like they'll put them into places where there's not a lot of space. Mm. It's like, well, I don't know. Does, like how much does a fish mind that? The grass grows right on top of each other. Does every blade of gla- grass mind? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I watched the fish part. Or the ants, the ants are crawling all over each other, man. Yeah, the only part I skipped was dog. I was like, I'm 100 percent positive I won't watch. Dog. <laughs> don't worry, so this is. I, I, I watched this. the the whole yeah. thing. It's very long, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but really, cows and pigs are only minute four to 24 or something. Yeah. Um, I think you think bugs. I think we got bugs safely. Can eat them for just about ever. 
I don't know. Unless the movie The Ant's Life is true. <laughs> this is the thing. We were like, this is why cows, it's like, okay, a cow, a dog, a pig, these things kind of emote like we emote. So it's mm-hmm. easier for us to understand. And their brains are similar sizes. So it's easier for us to intellectually comprehend that they probably feel pain in the same way yeah. we do and feel suffering in the same way we do. And then there's other things like trees, which we just assume don't because they're anatomically completely different. Then there's mollusks, then there's shrimp, then there's yeah. salmon, then there's... And so it's like, I don't actually have any concept for how those things exist. I, I would, it's it's tough to empathize with a mollusk, to understand what it would be like to only be a piece of muscle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's why... that And that's why I kind of draw the line at like, okay, well, I'm not even going to tell people not to eat chickens. Like, I have stopped eating chicken, but... The, my main thing is just pigs and cows, mm-hmm. factory farms, pigs and cows. That seems so close to home. Yeah. Any other takeaways? Not from that. No. Cool. What else do we have? I have a lot of random stuff. So I, John Stewart came on Stephen Colbert, mm. and uh, it was interesting. So one thing that I haven't mentioned because I have nothing to add to the discussion. Brett Weinstein has been talking about this, the lab leak hypothesis, which I think if you're on YouTube, you probably have heard or seen before. The idea that COVID uh, was generated by studies in the Wuhan lab, mm. not necess- not nefariously leaked, but the idea that they were studying coronaviruses there, and allegedly they had bats <laughs> allegedly at the at the uh, lab, and that one got out as contagious viruses tend <clears throat> to do. Sorry, um, is it that a scientist got sick, or just that a bat got out? That a virus somehow jumped to a person, that person went home, you know, or or that they didn't do safety protocols in the right way and they were around a virus and brought it back on an article of clothing that went to a family member, something of that nature. I don't know exactly how, but this was uh, a like blockable and potentially bannable. Uh, I don't know if it was bannable on YouTube. It was uh, COVID misinformation. Uh, Donald Trump didn't describe it very well, but got in a lot of heat. Or mm-hmm. saying it, and it was uh, not allowed to be spoken. And uh, the the amorphous nature of uh, corporations and large news channels makes it impossible to hold anyone accountable for for it. You know right. what I mean? Like, there's nobody who's well. Aren't people still adamant that it didn't happen? Uh, it at least at this point on YouTube, and I, I have no way of checking. To be clear, I have zero capability of learning. I can only tell you like say which way the wind is blowing the wind is on youtube blowing in the other direction um that people, is people now largely think it was a lab leak it is there is an increased uh space and attention and you will not be blocked as quickly on youtube like you won't have your video necessarily removed for saying it got it. and the point is not so i won't opine on whether it's true or not because i have no way of checking but the we you know i won't beat this up we just talk about it to death who is going to be doing the censoring and how will they decide? You know, it's like the WHO says no today and they said yes yesterday and tomorrow they say maybe. Like whatever they say is what is allowed to be heard. It's it's a very um it's a very corrupt system that we have for Just trust in Big Brother, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Just 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 relax. Trust in Big Brother. They have your back. Yeah. So I mean never I, misinform you for their own benefit. If you want to watch the lab leak hypothesis, there's uh there's another interesting talk on Brett Weinstein's podcast with a guy, and again, I have no way of checking, but it's just it's just an interesting idea who says that there's this medicine, ivermectin, that is uh extremely useful in treating COVID and ha- he's he's been using it for a long time and they will not let you really on YouTube he had to like this is for the censors. 
we are, you know, they had to do this whole thing and they did take the video down and they got it reinstated. Uh, that this is a very effective treatment against COVID and the way that they've been treating it is ineffective. The antivirals that they're using after day 10 don't make any sense because the viral load is dropped off by day 10. You're dealing with an inflammation disease, all this kind of stuff that I go, who knows? <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, could just be making it up. Could he just, this guy could just be making everything up. Uh, but it's just, how do you know which scientists to trust? Like, oh, you trust scientific consensus? So that, that has a wonderful history over the course, you know, like at any given time and any given subject about of being correct, especially with completely novel phenomena. It is, uh, it's just funny. Like I go, yeah, I guess I will have no opinion, but if I was making the rules, I don't, I think I'd uh, have to recognize that and lay off the screening of what people say because I have no idea of knowing what is right in these fields. Well, it's the tough part. This consensus, scientific consensus is probably right most of the time. Just, Over time. Yeah, they're just <laughs> occasionally, they get things wrong like laughing at germ theory yeah. or laughing at the fact that the sun is in the middle of the universe or the solar system. Yeah. Like, So it's like, oh yeah, well, you're right most of the time, but sometimes someone tells you you should wash your hands because there are these things called germs you've yeah. never heard of and everyone just laughs at him yeah. and says he's an idiot. Yeah. You go, hmm. We got that one wrong. Yeah. So at any given point, yeah, that you might be wrong. And if you're if you're thinking that you need to censor for people's uh, best benefit, it'd be very cautious with that thought. Um, you want to talk about the German scientist? Oh, yeah. This was the other one. So John Stewart is doing so he so John Stewart comes on. The reason is that he is uh, he very comically just says that this obviously came out of a lab in a way that is, you know, it's got the same name as the virus. And it's it's funny and it, it persuasive in its funniness, but not necessarily it, maybe it shouldn't be. He, at one point, is doing an impression of the Chinese scientists about, you know, where it came from as they're, like, making up lies and saying where it came from. He's like, he goes, maybe a bat kissed a pangolin. And I think he's doing a German or accent. And it's like, what is this? <laughs> what? Like, why are you doing it? It's just such a strange world that we've all sort of understood that we lived in. Where if he were to do a stereotypical Asian accent of any kind, huge problems for him and his life. If he does a stereotypical German accent, places it on a Chinese scientist, no problems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like, this is ridiculous. Not, not that I want there to be a problem for a German accent, but, but what has happened here? Like, yeah, yeah. like these rules, and I was reminded of, um, we went to the gym. As soon as the, the mask order came off in California everyone in the gym had their mask off. Mm -hmm. And I remembered walking around the gym, like keeping my mask off because I was concerned because I was like looking at the people. I was like, they're probably looking at me. They're probably feeling a certain way. And it was made evident yesterday. It's like every one of these people is fed up with this shit. All these people that I've just seen around did not want to have it on. Didn't <laughs> like as soon as they were given license to take it off. No, no question. That's what was interesting to me is you, it, it seems like there's this discord online of, covid now that we have the vaccines in the u.s how serious is it how serious is it not and it it feels like there's two sides mm -hmm. arguing but what at least when i look around in my life as soon as you were hey masks are voluntary now if you feel unsafe you can wear an n95 mask as much as you want and it will protect you but you don't have to wear a mask if you don't want to 100 percent of people stopped wearing masks yeah. and so i'm just curious like where are the people from the online discord? And I think most people are just not weighing in at all. And so you can, you can get the sense that there's two equal sides for any issue, whether it's a cancellation or a political issue or whatever, because the, they're both just as loud mm -hmm. on the internet. 
But if you were to actually talk to people in real life, you might find that actually it's just 5% of the population. That actually has an that, opinion. That 95% are just like, yeah, I, I didn't even notice that he was doing an accent of any kind and I don't care. Right of which one it was and I didn't find it offensive but yeah that that we have adopted social norms to cater to the argument that the fringes have been having mm -hmm. about whether you can do when when you're when you are doing an impression of a nondescript Chinese person if it is okay to do a nondescript Chinese accent like and the other the other idea being that it would be which is just a strange idea that it's somehow insulting to it can be insulting when you're, if you're if you're implying that someone is stupid for not speaking perfect English. Well, but this, this is how this is people the thing I think sound. Is, this is the thing I think is funny. It's like you can do an impression of an individual that's spot on perfect and upset people. Mm -hmm. So you can have somebody and that person, they're a certain race or they have a certain way that they speak or certain mannerisms, and you do an exact side by side impression of that person, and you will be accused of being homophobic or racist or whatever it might be because of the fact that you've done that impression. Yeah. I just think that's really strange. Uh, it was, it was not a, yeah, wasn't a highlighted moment of his interaction with Colbert, but I was just going like, what is this? Well, he knows, <laughs> you know, he knows how to, how to do the dance so that he can get his point across without getting the cancel culture up yeah. on him. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's just silly. It's it's just, uh, and I was like, who's enforcing this? You know, Nicole Bear's audience probably largely is uh, on that, <laughs> in that two and a half percent that would tremendously care. So perhaps you read the audience right. Um, but yeah, don't need to go too deep on to that. Uh, here was a question that I had. So there is a, so critical race theory sweeping the nation, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's in education, all that kind of stuff. Several states are taking steps that have like, conservative governors to ban it mm -hmm. to ban it in the education system uh and i don't know i was like man what would i do as a governor like it, it, you want to represent the people and i guess but also you're expected to do what you think is best for them but i the, the, on, the only well, thought that also I, when you're representing the people are you representing your state or the country or i think your state i think i think your state so if what if governor? your state what if your state what if you took a vote and your state is 60-40 against gay marriage. Well, I think what you're supposed to do is as your term in governor, you're supposed to do what you think is best for the people in your state and then get voted out if in your next term if that doesn't correspond with what people... I think that's actually like the structure of it. Got it. So you don't feel like they're beholden to the if, polls. I think if everyone were clamoring for the Iraq war, for instance, and you're like, I'm certain there's no WMDs there. I think the right thing to do ethically in the democratic system is to vote no or yes if you think that it's the right thing to do and everyone's against it uh, and then get voted out of office okay. ASAP, I think. But in any event, it was just interesting because the fight indicates that, like you mentioned earlier, like kids just believe whatever the heck you tell them. Like whatever story you tell kids yeah, and yeah. People, have, people have started to recognize this very clearly uh, and this was happening all along, right? There's always indoctrination going on in schools and this is not this is not the first idea that people have been like, oh, what if we got this into their heads really young? Uh, but it's, I guess, become, I don't know if it was always, there was always this tight of a fight over it or, or maybe it started to happen post-World War II with less um, concrete enemies that we could all agree upon. But yeah, people recognize like, oh, when, if you control the public education curriculum, 
It is an investment in just controlling the future. <laughs> like you have to wait 30-ish sure. years, but you just have a nation of people that uh, will behave in semi-predictable ways based on what you've told them. And that could be, they could all be very patriotic or they could all be, and I don't mean that as a good or a bad thing. They, it's, you know, it's just scary. <laughs> yeah, you just hear it a thousand times growing up. You think it's true. Yeah. And you've got these people fighting over, clearly not agreeing over the story of the past and they're going to tell it to kids and kids wouldn't even have an idea to doubt it. They wouldn't even know that there was mm -hmm. disagreement over the past. I remember the first time that I encountered people's history of the United States and I heard just, just not the right story of the United States, but just a different story. Uh, I was like, oh, damn. I didn't know there was an alternative interpretation. Or that yeah, well, we're not the good guys. Canon. Yeah, that it was, uh, oh, and then we took half of Mexico for nothing? <laughs> like... That's just a segment of America that I've that I've really not even heard discussed outside of yeah. Howard's. No, and obviously some people do think something other than what they were told. You know, we do we have atheists from religious families, but I think for people who are set, listening here, sitting, oh no, I'm atheist. Oh no, I'm agnostic. That's not true. People can think critically. Just think about what a small part of the country is atheist and agnostic. <clears throat> Compare it to how strongly you feel like. The atheist arguments are clearly the best, and that's what you're going to get for any issue. Because mm -hmm. I feel like most most atheists are like, "Oh yeah, obviously it's so dumb that you would ever believe in a religious book." And I was, and I shook free of my religious upbringing. So clearly, we all can. It's like well, clearly we all can't because a very small part of the population is atheist. So. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I just have a bunch of random things. If you want me to keep going, no, I'd go for it. I read a study that was it was just a Reddit thing, and I clicked it. It said, uh, I think it. What was the, I might get the phrasing wrong. Um, study finds BLM protests were overwhelmingly peaceful. And then I clicked the study and it was a short thing and it had numbers in it. You know, we, we studied 7,000 incidents in this, in a 7,435 incidents, yada, yada, yada. But I found it was like, if I was interested in the idea of, are these peaceful? That's first off, what does that mean? In my mind, it means were these events peaceful in comparison to similar events uh, controlled for scale, but also then let's just talk in the absolute number, meaning like, okay, let's look at like the Rodney King riots and compare them to this. Let's, co let's compare them to uh, Martin Luther King's peace walks or whatever he did, the, the walk to Selma or, or, or all that kind of stuff. And instead what was done is they broke like different gatherings up and called them like, I think a unit of one and then said, this one was peaceful, this one was peaceful, this one was peaceful. And then the Santa Monica one was not. Um, and they concluded that 97% of it was peaceful, which is like, this is not useful. <laughs> this is not useful information. And we like, you can come up with a million things, but World War II was mostly peaceful. Like most of the day in most places, it was peaceful. <laughs> it's just, so like 99% of the time, World War II was very peaceful. Only people were only dying on 1% on of the occasions. Like that is just such an unuseful way to formulate the backbone of that sentence. Uh, and then I was clicking around and went to the authors and there, one of them has a book on, on activism coming out. And it's just, and it was a Harvard study. And I was like, man, I still have this, that I can't shake this institutional deference. Mm -hmm. When I see Harvard and a number, it puts something in my brain that is different than the guy down the hall making a claim. Yeah. Well, they teach this in statistics, or at least they did where I went to college, that you can, you can basically abuse statistics to make any point you want. <laughs> 
and they might not be wrong. Like there's, there is a study that is, I think, compelling and interesting, which is how, like I said, how does this compare to similar events, both on scale? And I'd also want to know the absolute because it's one thing to say, oh, like the, you know, uh, the Rodney King riots were more violent, more damage was done, more people were hurt, more people died. But also then you want to look nationwide and say, okay, on a scale level, it was less, but absolute, there was more. That, that to me is an interesting were they peaceful, weren't they peaceful? But they just, to me, didn't even engage with the central question. And uh, in myself, the most disappointing thing was when I saw Harvard, I, I just felt something. I felt, mm. uh, oh, I should click this. Like, this this could be interesting. This could tell me something. And I was like, oh, no, this, I don't know if these institutions ever were worth uh, extra deference, but I just really, I wish I would get it through my head that <laughs> that they no longer, to me, are. And if you went to Harvard, that's not a diss on you. That's a diss on the uh, presumed authority that I give with uh, without any other data to Harvard or New York Times or Business Insider or, you know, I don't give, and I'm, I'm purposely excluding Fox News and uh, Cato Institute because I never gave them any cred because that was the, the family that I was raised in. Um, but yeah, I have one other thing. Unless you want to hop in. No, I'm good. Uh, my charisma is not good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you say that? So I went out to the, um, I went out to, and I, this isn't the only thing, but the spa just opened back up uh-huh. and I went in and they're like, Hey, how are you guys? And they know us cause we go a lot and, yeah, yeah. and we've been friendly in the past. And I felt myself torn between what I felt at the beginning of my charisma journey, which is my, I think, natural proclivity towards introversion mm-hmm. and a complete and total understanding of what it would take to make this a special interaction. Yeah. And I have, am just- Wait, choosing. what was the other side? So you said I felt two things. Oh, no. It was my natural introversion and the understanding of exactly what I could do- Oh, got it. To make this like- an interaction where they really liked me and handed me a bunch of free guest passes yeah, yeah. and like high five me and hugged it out. Like, You're good dude, I already have a bunch of free guest I passes. I know. Well, this is what I'm doing is I'm just like, I am consistently, even though I know what to do, mm-hmm. I am choosing introversion. Uh, I'm choosing it all the time, <laughs> everywhere I go. And I, I don't think that's a problem necessarily, but it does as I go and I'm thinking about like what content to make. I am be increasingly on the side of understanding charisma as a study that I did back in the day. Mm. And there was a time when it was like, I had new stories. I was like, that reminds me of this thing that happened this week. You know, I Mm -hmm. came into the situation and I handled it this way. And here's just an added color that I've learned this week. And uh, I'm not inspired to change. I don't want to. I feel like I've done that journey and I've gotten to our first conversation. Like I don't feel that there's more for me to necessarily um, get out of it and I like being introverted and I'm not rude to these people at all like they're more happy to see us I think than most other people and I mm-hmm. am polite and kind of friendly but uh yeah I don't have the same bug that we had where sure. we had to crack every everything and I'm as you're making the videos now I'm curious if you find yourself saying things that you already know or making new discoveries that from your life that you are including in the videos no, it's almost all stuff that I already know. I mean, mm-hmm. cause the, the other tough thing, though, is like, so I started trying to study charisma at age 19, 14 mm-hmm. years ago. I mean, there's, to some extent, it's like, how much more novel stuff could I find? Like, I could find a nuance on it. You know what I mean? I could find a new, 
wrinkle to something we've already said, mm-hmm. but I do feel like most of the discoveries come early into a exploration of a topic. So like when I was first studying charisma, it was mind blowing that having an argument was bad mm-hmm. or that sarcasm could hurt someone like the basic shit that most people already knew. And then after four years in, I was getting to new territory of, I haven't found this in a book before. Mm-hmm. But when you're 13 years in or 14 years in, I don't know that there's going to even be that much novel. But you also will regress, I'm sure. You know what I mean? Like there's um, in the same way that like when your cells replicate, like they copy things incorrectly and get a little sure, bit older. Sure. I know that that's happening within me to agree because I'm not sharpening it against real world uh, encounters in the same way that I was. Sure. I also, But I also think as you get... You get you start to answer questions that aren't even helpful to answer. That's so like how I if feel. You, That's if how you're I feel. starting to if you're starting to play basketball, for instance, you're like, oh, we're gonna go through a tutorial. You don't need to ask the MVP of the NBA, Nikola Jokic, what do you do when you Eurostep and then you pump fake and they bite on the pump fake and now you have to do a reverse? Like how much mm-hmm. spin do you put on the ball? It's like, yeah, let's not worry about that. Let's worry about how to do a Eurostep. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense of like yeah, at one point we wrote an article on how to date multiple people at once. And it no one cared because that's not the question they were asking. They were asking, how do I get this one person I like to like me? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I don't know. Even if you had the bug, I don't know how much new stuff you would be discovering today versus just relearning a lesson you learned five years ago. Well, I think I think there was new stuff. For instance, like I, I was – I think I could learn. There was always areas where I wasn't the perfect – person obviously Mm -hmm. but like i had friends that even at my peak were better storytellers than me like i i could break down how to tell a story but it was not an element of charisma that i leaned on as heavily as other friends of ours who were just Mm. storytelling gene people like tom holland always wants to tell a story and there's other people out there i would lean more in the realm of joking building fake worlds Mm -hmm. um and then values yeah improv more improv comedy more improv and then more values and Mm -hmm. so i could you know i could be like oh I'm, i'm gonna go back and I am going to make sure that not only do I recognize the storytelling skills, which I can see and break down, but I internalize them. Mm-hmm. And maybe I learned something that I didn't know about the internalization of those skills. Yeah, I guess the question is, so like the motive initially wasn't to master charisma. I know. this is It was an outcome. It was <laughs> exactly. to improve your dating life, yeah. get friends. And like, I don't want to put you on blast, but uh, you have an enviable dating life. You don't lack for friends. So I don't know, like, to what end to try to get your 10 out of 10 storytelling when you can just rely on improv and value connection? Well, that is the value, and that's that's the uh, positive in my life. And also the, I just am trying to recognize, like, I think you are still, and I can still make videos from memory that have value to an audience. Mm -hmm. But Sorry, but what I'm saying is you can also just lean on your strengths for, like, if you don't, like, if you... You mean personally. No, no, in, in content, if you say, listen, I don't know how to answer a question that audiences have asked, right? Like how to be charismatic on a Zoom call. I would have to study it and I'd have that, to go out so that, in my own this life. Is, this like, is a great example. So I won't make a video on that, but I'll make a video on something else that I do feel like I have, uh, I don't know what to say, topic mastery just, And on. so just to underscore what you've said, how to be charismatic on a Zoom call. 
I've never had a problem on a Zoom call. I've never been the guy who, you know, was on Zoom masturbating. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever uh, ruined a friendship. And I I'm generally, like, enjoy myself. And it seems that the people that I speak to as well. But I never sat down with the same rigor. You never studied it. And was like, hmm, these first sec- seconds are a bit awkward when people join. Like, what is the best joining sentence that I've ever heard anyone say? And can mm-hmm. I break it down and can I use it myself? So when people are like, can you do a video on how to do a good Zoom call? We've refrained because I just haven't put that effort mm-hmm. in. Um, so, yes, I can lean on the things, but I guess I feel like I've said, I've answered the most important, interesting questions that I also have good answers to sure. in my videos, which is why I stopped. Sure. And I'm I'm sure that you're feeling that. Well, so the tough part is to not be repetitive because... Well, this is what I'm saying. Because you are not... If you were innovating, you would have interesting things to say. Now, it might not be every week, but it, once a month, you would come across a new thing. I also think to some extent there just are core principles that work for everybody. So like, I mean, yeah, you have an NBA player like Sean Marion who shoots funny and it works for him. But for most people, when you're teaching them a jump shot, it's like you keep your elbow in, you put your feet here. And so it's, it's like, okay, well, if you're breaking down all the best shooters in history, first of all, you probably want to exclude the ones that shoot oddly because it's not useful. And so in that case, every video will have a different person but the same shooting motion or similar shooting motions. Well, I guess the analogy would be, okay, so you've, shooting is the most important question in the NBA. And then dribbling is also a really important mm-hmm. question. And defending is a really important question. But I, I think that there are some questions that remain, like how do I recover from a bad first impression? How do I be charismatic on a Zoom call? Um, there, that there are probably a medium-sized list of those still potentially interesting questions mm-hmm. that we have not focused on as sure. intently. Yeah, if I don't know the answer to it, then I won't make a video on it. Exactly. And so what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I think you could still make videos and I've made videos that um, I think were for me basic, that for an audience. Yeah, you've gone to the things you are interested in, like OnlyFans. (laughs) Yeah, I went and made an OnlyFans video. Exactly. Um, Things you have experience with. (laughs) I haven't locked back in for all those who are wondering. I canceled that account. It did, for me, was not interesting. Um, It was was interesting, the psychology behind it, but as a uh, customer... Well, not for me. Uh, the thing we were talking about business and fulfillment and all these kinds of stuff. And I do think that part of the reason we had the success that we had with Charisma on Command is because it was a dual passion. Like mm-hmm. it was just all day we thought about it. Oh, for sure. I wasn't reading those books so I could make videos or teach people. Yes. I was reading those books so that I could personally learn the lessons. Mm-hmm. And then I figured, well, if I've learned this lesson and it's valuable... I should see if it's helpful to other people. But the the motive definitely first and foremost for consuming all the content, doing all the experiments was definitely a personal one. Yes. And so, and I think that is what put us on that. Um, we studied it for six years before we even started teaching it. Yes. Yes. And, th- and that was why when we, when we started making YouTube videos, we had the success that we had so quickly, mm-hmm. I think, is because it was... Uh, we spent a lot of time on, you know, the, the first YouTube video technically took me an hour, but it also took me six years and an hour to make. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the next thing, like, and Charisma on Command is doing well, and people are still watching the videos, but I do think, you know, we've talked about this, there's a, there's a leveling off of interest, and I think even the audience is like, yeah, I've heard you talk about charm and confidence and all these things. Um, whatever comes in my life, and I'm under the impression that I'm going to have to continue to work, is going to have to have that same level of uh, drive independent of business mm-hmm. and I'm just uh, you know we've talked about this trying to be aware of that and trying to open that up because charisma on command 
I don't know how much more innovative content I have for it unless something in my life really changes. Yeah. Um, well, you're um, mostly training the team now, right? Well, that is interesting to me. So this, this is a question that I have, and maybe one day I can make a good video. I, I haven't made it on purpose because I don't think I'm there yet, which is, yeah, how do you uh, effectively train people? And, you know, that's not a widely interested video, but I do think if I did a really good job, it could be one that was good for the audience. But I'm still learning it, right? I'm still, I'm only eight months into that, and it took me six years to get good at Charisma. And I'm, so I'm not, I'm not as good as it, at that as I was at Charisma when we started making mm -hmm. videos. So, yeah, maybe in five years, you'll get a, how to train <laughs> the team. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I, right now I'm working with someone to, to help on the writing, actually. So a woman from Cornell. Uh, she's a, a graduate and uh, we, at least on the video we're working on, we, we have novel points. They still rely on my past studies, if that makes sense. Like we're not, we're not getting to the point where I'm learning new stuff from her charisma mm -hmm. experience, but at least what she's, she's helping bring in a fresh perspective. Mm. And so what, there's like a novel point on gesticulating that I know that I know from my experience out in the world trying to be charismatic, but it just hadn't occurred to me to share based on what I see. Cause I think when I watch, I go to the stuff I find most impactful. And so she, she brought a point to me and I was like, Oh, this is actually, yeah, this is legit. This will work and it's helpful. And so I think it'll help the videos at least be a little bit yeah, fresh. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. And then maybe that's one way to, to spice it up. Not that spicing it up is the point. I think the point is, um, I was just thinking, you know, how do you, how do you have, this wasn't the question clearly and clarified in my mind, but as I think about it, it's like, how do you be secure in the long term? Mm -hmm. And um, in the fortunate position that I'm in, it's like continue to harness the fact that your brain works on things all the time mm -hmm. and like just just like an engine, like channel that in a particular direction. So we talked, you know, we're doing a lot of D&D. &D. I don't know how long that's going to last. And this podcast is a, is a result of the things that I noodle on over the course of the week. Sure. But, um, you know, between you and I, just keep thinking about that, that question and, and see what comes up because it just might not be charisma forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so it's, I don't know if you want to talk about it on air or sure. not. So, so I was thinking about this in the realm of D and D because I was just, you, we were playing D and D it's super fun, but there's critical role out there and critical role is not the only one. There's actually tons of people that saw the success of critical role and we are not first movers by any stretch. And so I was like, oh man, that we, we can't do this. Like not only are we not critical role, we're not even one of the first hundred different groups that have tried this. Mm -hmm. But that's not so dissimilar from when we started Charisma. When we started Charisma, we were the first people to do Charisma, but people were doing dating coaching, negotiation coaching. There were, there were multi-million dollar businesses in the area-ish of what we were doing. It took us two or three years to get to Charisma. Like we had to float around that, yeah, what are we going to teach? We're going to teach promotions. We're going to teach negotiations. Yeah, we're going to yeah. teach dating. Like it was, but so my takeaway was, okay, well, how did we get, how did we succeed then in the face of going up uh, two dudes with no business skills going up against multi-million dollar organizations was uh, not just novel content, but a novel presentation mm -hmm. on a relatively new platform. And so I think if we were going to do, if we're going to be successful. It was eight years old. Yes, but I don't more. think that charisma people had had massive success on YouTube yet. Yes, so it was it was new. In, yes, so the first thing you said, like a new angle for the space that you were so on. So one was there wasn't a lot of charisma topics on YouTube, and yep. two was the charisma breakdown 
was mm-hmm. not big. It was a lot of talking heads. It was a lot of people sitting in front of a The format was very different, yeah. And so I was thinking, if we do become people that support our lifestyle through something related to D&D, it will probably not look like playing on YouTube with cameras in our faces. It's just not how Charisma on Command succeeded. We didn't just copy the people that were doing it well. And we're also not voice actors. When we have less experience. So I think, yeah, if we're going to be successful, it's going to be maybe not even on YouTube, maybe on a new uh, platform. But if it is, it'll be in a, it'll be presented in a new way. Mm-hmm. So it could be taking a four-hour session and turning it into a 20-minute animated, much more interesting, tighter thing that is based on our D&D sessions, but really involves recording the session and sending it to an animator sure. and sending it to a story writer. And that was my thought. I was like, if we're going to be successful, it's actually not going to look like Critical Role. Yes. Because that's not how we were successful at Christmas Command. And, well, the good news, and here's the, the what we did, we didn't lean into too heavily, was the Charisma breakdown got attention to our channel. <clears throat> then I was able to make videos with my face on them that would have never done well mm-hmm. where did they come first, that some of them have millions of views. Sure. So you could point back to the original four-hour session if you care to, but I agree. Well, I was just thinking... You're I've not se- going to capture attention with that that six people around a table rolling dice. And even to make it interesting to other people, I see other people who want to be entrepreneurs. They mm-hmm. want to be running Charisma on Command, and what they do is they make a copycat that looks exactly the same, that is in the same format, that just tries to closely resemble the person that they're trying to be mm-hmm. like. And I've not ever seen that work. What works is doing something that that person you admire hasn't done yet. Yeah, go to TikTok and do the 60-second thing, you know, blank in 60 seconds. I don't know. Um, that... That's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have a TikTok audience, which... Yeah, if you want to be the next PewDiePie, it's not going to be what you and PewDiePie release the same video with the same topic and the same editing and it's the same format. It's not Let's Plays on YouTube where you scream loudly at scary stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not- <laughs> or it's not even looking at his... today. Today's video mm-hmm. is probably not that, but it's not looking at meme review and then doing a meme review. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can take the high level, oh, what does PewDiePie do? He finds things that he finds entertaining and presents them to his audience. Okay, so I'm going to find things I find entertaining. I'll be an, an agro of entertaining content Mm -hmm. but you're gonna have to present it in a way that people on youtube who are fans of pewdiepie haven't seen Mm because if it looks exactly like his they'll just go watch his so yeah that was my only thought it's like it's not gonna be by buying a really expensive set that looks exactly like critical roles and sitting down and playing the exact same length game with someone that sounds exactly like matt mercer we could it just wouldn't be successful (laughs) and then a hundred people have tried it Mm -hmm. yeah that was my only thought yes yes that we would need to mix up the format and and more than that, I, the underlying thing that we've seen with success in uh, our friends that have been successful, uh, the difference between it's not working and it is working in every one of our friends, which I would say are above average intelligence, but some of them are not super gifted, mm-hmm. is it is persistence over time. Um, and that's not in the same business. It can be in like related things or bouncing over. You're a fitness trainer and then our, our friends became more into jump rope and like that jump rope angle is what really worked for them. Um, so it would also have to be something that you reasonably thought that not am I just going to try to craft a new format. I'm also willing to stick this for two years while yeah, it yeah, doesn't if this really doesn't work. Make, if this doesn't make money if for If this doesn't months. work, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's why we did this podcast. It was like, <laughs> if this doesn't make money. We can at least talk at to least each other. I'll yeah. talk to you once a week uh, and do it. So that's obviously, you know, interesting to you and I. But if it does make sense, if you're, if you're out there as an audience member, um, 
I've seen that there's two there's two kinds of people. I do have friends that God bless them for whatever reason, they can get inspired by the idea of building something and making money. And it I doesn't say, I thought you were just saying building something because they love money. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like the idea that they could uh, earn a lot of money is enough to motivate them consistently for years. Mm-hmm. And it's and they seem good with it. And I am not built that way, man. Like if my brain doesn't naturally gravitate towards something, I I guess I have horrible discipline is, is really what it is. Um, so if you're like me. Well, in ways. I mean, you did make a video once a week for three years. That requires discipline. Sure, sure. So it's not it's not that I have horrible discipline. I never got on your case and you rarely missed and you did hundreds of them. So yeah. there's discipline in there. It's more like you. How would I describe it? You My, don't want to do work that you find disinteresting yes and i will but i will but there's always like some sort of combustion going on in my head and it's not always useful to any people in fact it's probably not useful to me 99 percent of the time mm-hmm. it just runs all day um so don't worry i'll never meditate because <laughs> this is my this is my power um but yeah i need to my success has only ever come from harnessing that uh uncontrollable interest which has set itself on things that usually appear quite useless from mm. a business perspective but weirdly enough even though it appears useless after three years eventually you find a crack and you're mm. like ah, oh, what if we made a video about a guy talking on a talk show <laughs> and broke down the five things that he did that made the audience laugh yeah, like, yeah. that is such a weird a weird thing to have done and it but, started with how do i get this girl in college to like me yes yes um why does everyone listen to that friend and not to me yeah was were the original question. I just told that joke 30 seconds ago and no one heard me. And now this guy yeah. stole it and got a big laugh. Yeah. Well, this is something I wanted to, uh, to say to you. And not that you have to do it, but uh, in terms of new content, and it doesn't have to be charisma related necessarily, but there is sometimes uh, if you have questions and that are at all related to people that you want answered, like the OnlyFans one is the most recent example of mine, mm-hmm. I would just encourage you to to do it. I don't know to what degree they appear in your head as clarified questions, um, but I, I'm sure they're there. You just might not have noticed some of them. Why does everyone play League of Legends, even though no <laughs> one seems to like yeah. playing League of Legends? That's a that could be super interesting. Yeah. That could be super. I don't know anyone that says that they enjoy it. <laughs> That's a but dig- I know a lot of people that play it often. So I could help you with the title there, but there's a video there that is yeah, really so. interesting. I don't know the answer. Is the thing That's, that is how you make a good video. Because you know why I don't know the answer? Because nobody else knows. <laughs> and so yeah, your yeah. video will be the only one with even a reasonable attempt at the answer. Uh, so that could be that could be a good video. And that was, you know, I don't know that OnlyFans has like changed our business. or But it was, I think, a solid video. And yeah, it yeah. Done. No, it's just easier. To, so, for instance, in this next video that's releasing, I just did the, the absolute easiest ways oh, to dude, get a yeah, laugh. Yeah, the surprising psychology of horrible games. Or surprising no, no, psychology. but here's what I'm saying. So to do that video, I would have to actually do it like tens of hours of research yes yes. in this other video i'll just spoil one of the points i talk about uh the wordless walk-off as an incredibly easy way to get a laugh and the reason i know that works is because i've done it probably in my life 500 times in a variety of situations and as soon as i saw someone do it on a talk show i went i know this works Mm -hmm. i've I've done this to get attention at bars i've done this while flirting i've done this is a great thing and i know it because i spent 10 years doing it Mm -hmm. and so when i'm making that point i'm just as soon as I see it, I go, I know what this is. And I've already tried it a hundred times. I have no hypotheses yeah. left. I've asked all my hypotheses. And for this, you have to, you have to why is League of Legends yeah. 
so unenjoyable, but people keep <laughs> going back to it. I would be like, all right, well, I don't know the answer. So that that's the benefit of the back catalog yeah. of content. It's like, I've done this wordless walk off 500 times. Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. I from, have, from a creation perspective, it's easier. It's definitely easier. No doubt. Yeah, I would have to actually start from scratch instead of starting with 13 years of yeah. uh, asking myself the yeah. question already. You'd have to talk to people and you'd have to ask yourself the question when you were going back. And you're like, am I happy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'd be like, no. Why won't I stop? <laughs> I don't get it. Um, yeah, not that, not that you have to make any of those videos, but there might be some that you're interested in. Um, I don't know. What is it? What is an example? There could, there could be a ton of things that you are interested in questions like, you know, how do I be charismatic on a new meeting? You don't care. Um, how to know if my partner's right for me. Maybe you care. How to know, how does one know if their partner is right for them? Um, how well, to, how to carry a spark years into a relationship, you know, like something like that. That, yes. that is potentially interesting. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying you have to do this, but I, I, this is... Uh, but here's, so here's the weird part about, so like, okay, a video, how to know if your partner's right for you. I would love to know the answer to that question. Yeah. But I don't think I am qualified after a month of research even to know the answer to that question. I agree. Um, but you might, you're, you might know more considerably than the audience. And the video can be like, you know, you can acknowledge, be like, even with the best case, you're probably one. What I realized is uh, the partners themselves are always blind. <laughs> they, they have no idea. And the experts are only right 85% of the time. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, saying, I'm just circling back to like Craig Ferguson, how to build mm -hmm. chemistry in a conversation. I'm positive that that's good information because I have had yeah, a yeah. lot of conversations with women and I've coached guys on how to help uh, improve their dating life. And it's like, this stuff is good. And I could make a video on how to know if your partner's right for you and then feel it was not good enough. Go through a breakup yeah. in six months and be like, I am an idiot. You well, know, then, like I feel like it's like you'd have to be married for 20 years to make that video. Oh, no, you don't. You can, you could, first off, you could be with a partner that is not right for you. And you, that can be part of the video is you go like, one of the things that I realized is everybody thinks that their partner is right for them. So you can't trust yourself. I think that's point number one, to be clear, mm -hmm. of, of the is your partner right for you? Uh, most relationships fail. Most people aren't planning on them failing. Therefore, they are not good people to ask. But I, you could delete the video if, if you felt it was that I could do bad. a how to know if your partner is wrong for you video. Sure. Because I've had partners well, that kind of, are wrong sure, for me. Sure, yeah. And I did that. That was my 90 Day Fiance video. Yes. I guess what I, well, I didn't realize that this was going to be um, a thing for you, but you don't, you can delete the video if you're wrong. You, could, you can do your best guess. Like, I know you want to be an expert in it, but it there's a degree to which... I thought we never deleted videos. We we usually don't, but... I still got a video up there saying Conor McGregor has a chance to beat Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> I left that to, up there for you, posterity. You can delete it. Well, It's that, wrong. Yeah, yeah. But well, it's mostly about visualization. It's yes. just poorly titled. Yes, it was poorly titled. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, I, and again, I think you could wisely capture things and be like, hey, I'm still exploring this. This is my best takeaways after... X, Y, and Z. And it can exist as a time capsule of a thing that, you know, was, oh my God, that was so goofy. If I go back and look at my old videos, not that they're, they're not obviously wrong, but like we've talked about, the underlying philosophy in so many of them, and that which was on our sales page, is re your relationships in life are everything. And I state that when available. And I just no longer believe like that foundational piece. Um, that's okay. Unless you expand it to yourself. 
Yes, unless unless you say, oh, it's my self relationship that is also yeah. included in that, and then I go, haha, I tricked you. Relationships are. <laughs> well, I think that it, I mean that's kind of the point, right? Is to get yeah. that confidence and the internal self love, and then also the the external results. That's also why we have emotional mastery. I don't think that was what I was thinking at the time, and I don't think that was what the people who were listening because it was like your relationships are everything. If your boss likes you, if your girlfriend yeah, likes yeah, yeah. you, and if your friends like you, I I wasn't like. If the different parts of your personality that make up your core self well, are all in a, concert. That's why you made emotional mastery. <laughs> exactly. It's for after you exactly. go through Charisma so University. It's like a constitution, man. It's a growing document, all right? It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. You yeah. make amendments, you go back. Um, and again, you don't have to do any of this, but I was just, uh, you had mentioned, uh, I was thinking about my inability to make innovative videos in the space and was thinking, how could I make innovative videos and when have I? And that, for me, the most recent one was probably either the, the Jordan Peterson one, which for me was built off the Sam Harris cognitive dissonance clip because I was interested and the OnlyFans one. What was Sam Harris? It was Sam Harris talking to Ben Affleck mm-hmm. and the cognitive dissonance piece. And so I was I was interested in the the signs of cognitive dissonance and I did not know them all. Mm-hmm. So I, or I'm sure I still don't know them all, but I, I wanted to find several that I could include in the video. And so I was looking for those cognitive dissonance clips and like studying Kathy Newman's face and, st- and studying Ben Affleck twitching in that interview and going like, how is it happening? What is happening? Yeah, yeah. Like, why, why, did you, why did you have an interest sparked in cognitive dissonance? I thought that that clip was so interesting as Sam Harris basically says like, uh, you know, there's this, it's funny. He just says, there's this thing that happens anytime you criticize Islam, people will accuse you of being racist. Now, Islam is a doctrine and it has specific tenets, and that is not to say that the people who practice it, and Ben goes, oh, so what you're saying is that people are all, that a billion people? And he's just like, I don't know how I could have prefaced this yeah, yeah. <laughs> more gently. And also that he walked, Ben Affleck walked away feeling like- He won. Vindicated, yeah. yeah. It was. I think the internet also vindicated him in the short term, didn't they? Uh, There's a lot of stuff written about how he came off well in that conversation. Listen, and, and I think, and there is, to, this is a Bill Maher interview. The most reasonable criticism of Sam Harris that I've heard is that the polls that he uses to say, at one point he says, look, there's Pew and Gallup research polls that when you ask X percent of British Muslims, they're in favor of Sharia law, they're in favor of this. Um, the most reasonable criticism is that those polls are uh, poorly worded and that they are not actually driving at what people say, but that's not what Ben Affleck, <laughs> that's not the criticism that yeah, Ben yeah. Affleck gives. He just goes, this is this so obviously racist um because he it's just hurting his head to be confronted with information yeah. that doesn't yeah so i was going through a rough time yeah, in yeah, his yeah. life yes yes and i'm not saying ben affleck's a bad guy it was just wow like look at this cognitive dissonance set in uh the kathy newman one and uh there were several of them that were in that video basically what i what i got to it, it is cognitive dissonance is really it's an interesting thing but it's so I had I had a greater degree of empathy for it because basically what happens is you build up beliefs over the course of your life, but you forget the data that led to those. And sometimes that could be really well founded data, mm-hmm. but you just don't have perfect recall. And then you're in a conversation, and somebody cites a Gallup research poll that just doesn't sit right with you. But mm-hmm. there's nothing that you can say to be like, "Let me look at those numbers." Like, uh, is this what's is there selection bias in these samples? Like, were these British Muslims that actually they you have no way to to and you don't have the logical training to break down exactly what you wouldn't trust in mm-hmm. that thing. So you just yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just you just get really upset at the other person because you're you feel like you're being attacked 
for what you believe and you can't find the supports for your beliefs. You're looking around your like mental cave. You're like, why do I believe this thing? I can't, yeah, yeah. this guy's, a, this guy's a monster. I know why. Cause you're a monster and you're wrong. And I'm going to leave right now. Cause you're, you're a horrible person. I have to go. So, uh, and there's times, there's times when cognitive dissonance, somebody just cites a bullshit statistic at you and your cognitive dissonance is actually doing good work, but you cannot find the reason that their stuff is, is bullshit. So anyways, well, uh, do you want to do some questions and then yeah, you have to leave for a flight in 45 minutes, right? Yes. Well, not leave. I have to, I have to go downstairs and pack and then run out the door. So do we right, have time so. for questions? Yeah. You just want to go straight to Patreon. Well, let's do it. It's, um, I will try to leave here in about 40 ish minutes. So you tell okay. me how we want to do them. We do I think, I think I'll just save these questions for next week then. Okay. Well, so we can go straight to Patreon. You're saying, yeah, we'll double up next week. Okay. okay, guys, if you want to see the rest of these questions, we'll have 40 minutes <laughs> today. And then when I'm back, it should be a little bit easier. I don't know if you have travel coming up, but we can see. I do. Out. I'm going to the Dominican Republic for a wedding. All right. Well, we'll figure it out. At some point, we'll crank these, we'll crank these out and get you guys uh, a little bit longer stuff. What but, day is it? Yeah, this is, a, we're recording on a Wednesday. Yeah. We're even recording on the wrong day. I know. So if you guys want to see uh, the answer to these questions, if you want to see more, join us on our Patreon. Otherwise, see you next time. Peace. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.